This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX Podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for joining me on today. And we are not going to waste any time. We're going to dive back in because we have part two of the UX Q&A session that we started last week featuring Julia Fernandez from the Students of UXD. Let's go ahead and pick up right where we left off last week. Awesome. That is awesome. And I think... I love the way that you, it's quite meta, but having to think about the UX experience, the user experience of yes. the person looking through your resume yes. makes a lot of sense. Yes. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, unless it's spoken, unless it's said out loud, you don't really think about it. But once I understood, cause coming from someone that transitioned from graphic design to UX design, I was like, oh, is this relevant? I had to stop and think about things more because sometimes we just assume that you have to put everything in your resume and yeah. you have to do X, Y, Z. But, you know, just thinking think, thinking critically about what to have on your resume is such a great point. And I love that you brought that up. All right. So for our next question from Sanju, uh, somebody who is also transitioning from okay. web design to the okay. UX design field. And... This is actually, you know, just a broader question, but they are asking, could you please let me know where I should even begin and start learning? <laughs> so this, this is, is very, this is, a, this is a big one, but I'm really curious to hear what you think of that. One of my favorite subjects is UX education. Uh, to mm. the extent that I was actually in one of my last jobs, I was building a certification, an internal certification for employees, which by the way, for those of you who are in power in your organizations, that's one of the benefits of having a senior on <laughs> your staff who can do things like that. But at any rate, uh, UX education, there's basically uh, three directions you can go. You have the self-learning path. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually sharing some things from the from the talk right. again. The You have the self-learning path, which that's books, going to talks, going to meetups, meeting people, trying to find mentors, things of that nature, which is, it will prolong your growth. You're going to grow the slowest at the slowest pace possible if you go that route. Uh, but there's a lot of there are a lot of experiences to be had through that slow route that will, as we like to say, sometimes stick to your ribs. They they have a tendency to stick more. They have a tendency to to be more long lasting and more impactful because there are a lot of quality engagements uh, more so with the meetups and the mentors and things of that nature. Um, the one thing about self self-taught path that I, that I sometimes forget to mention to people, however, is that uh, it has a, no matter what you do, I'm going to present the other options. You will still always be self-taught from a perspective of tapping into resources, building a personalized learning network, that will always be. You don't get to go to go into UX, go to a degree program or wherever you, you decide to learn something, finish the program, celebrate your graduation, and then never learn anything again. You are already on your way out of the discipline if you do that. 
So you must continue to learn all the time. Now, the next route you can go is through, say, your MOOCs. Again, your your massive uh, open online course route. And there's a lot of different types. I mentioned Coursera, University of Michigan. Um, there's a program, some places like uh, Susan Weinshank, if you go to the theteamw.com, has some great certifications. Uh, some people are not as excited about them because they feel like there should be more hands-on activity, things of that nature, mm-hmm. but they're the same as if you were in a in a lecture at University of Texas with 500 people sitting in a biology lecture. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. So, and then, uh, as I talked about recently, every learning experience, every good learning experience consists of presentation where you're actually taking in information, application, a chance to practice it, and then feedback, finding out from someone how well you did in your application, and then you continue to repeat that. That's generally what the learning experience is made up of. If you get exposed to a lecture or the content that you see at Susan Weinshank's site, you just go and practice it, and you're going to get your feedback from somebody, hopefully a senior or somebody of that sort. So Mm -hmm. that is a good route, and I do love, especially her brain and behavioral science certificate. I want that certificate myself because I want to learn more. I want to learn from an, an authorized vetted out source so that I can learn more about how psychology comes into play with regard to UX. You're talking $560. Mm. Okay. Just cut back on Starbucks a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure that probably impacts quite a few people that are listening right now. You're going to be able to, you're going to make up for that. And your, your, your company may even pay for it. That's not a lot of money. Right. That's cheaper than going to an NNG conference and paying for the flight, you know, post pandemic, paying for the flight, paying for hotel. And then you got to take five classes before you can even try to get a certification. So, so this mm-hmm. is, and you can do it in the comfort of your own home or at work and you finish it, you take a test of some type and you, you graduate and now you've learned something and, and you get to revisit that information on a regular basis. So that's another path. Again, so you got that one and got the the Coursera University of Michigan program, Michigan program, if I, I remember correctly, is nine months. And if I remember correctly, it is $49 a month. That doesn't break the bank. Mm-hmm. So you're talking, so this is where in nine months, you will have learned so much. And I can't remember, I think I believe the Susan Weinshank program is self-paced. So totally up to you how long it takes for you to compete it or to complete it. However, both of these options are better speed wise and substance wise because if you're self-learning you're also self-directed and so Mm -hmm. you don't know anything yet you know leave your leave your leave your newborn son or daughter uh in a room full of books and watch and see how far they get so it's the it's the same type of thing so you you also have uh cornell university has a program that i've recently learned about and i I love what they're doing there and we're going to be talking in the not too distant future about what people can do in that program and how thorough it is. And that's roughly, it's six to nine months. It's about $3,600, but that's an accredited institution. And just by putting Cornell on your resume, if somebody is trying to make a decision between two candidates, one of them, their resume says that they went to a boot camp. The other person says they went to Cornell University. And it's just based on what you see, Cornell wins hands down. Mm-hmm. So that is that is worth it. That's worth the $3,600, so I highly recommend that people do that. And then if you have the money, if you have the time, and you're willing to make the plunge, you do have some a few 
undergrad degrees in UX, in, uh, in interaction design, human-computer interaction, user-centered design. There are a few undergrads, and there are more and more grad programs that are popping up. So you're talking about two, three-year programs that you could get into. And you also have certification programs. That, and Cornell is a certification program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have certification programs at uh, undergrad certification programs as well as grad certification programs in UX where you can take three or four courses. And again, you get the certification from the school, but you also get training by way of accredited, an accredited institution, people who know how to teach and not just somebody who just wants a job and willing to get a paycheck. Because sadly, that's a lot of what's going on. So so that's where I would recommend. Those are your options, Sanju. That's great. Yeah. And actually you, whether or not you knew you were actually answering Sophie's question too, about <laughs> what boot camps could adequately, ad- adequately prepare uh, them for entry level UX design roles and the best way to get UX into the UX space. If you don't have prior experience, what I'm hearing from you is if there is a way in which you can get to a place that understands how education works and is able to, you know, match whatever uh, finance, whatever budget you have and whatever, you know, time in life that you are in. I feel like that is the best way to go. Cause I, I also want to, um, I also want to acknowledge that, you know, maybe not everyone has the same privileges, whether yeah, it's right. finances, time, yep. uh, you know, like resources of that kind, but it's sounds like to me that if there is a way in to get to a place where you can actually have uh, an institution that understands how education works, that is possibly the best case scenario that you can go for uh, if you are transitioning. Absolutely. And, and I should say, too, in looking at Lenore's question, when I got my first job, my first UX related job, I only had an associate's degree and I got that degree 14 years before I got that job. I didn't get my bachelor's until mm-hmm. after I got that, that first information architect gig that I had. And, and I think this, wow. having been a, a hiring manager before, I wasn't looking for degrees. I was looking for people who, who, who could do the job. I didn't care whether or not they had a degree. And that was for, I believe Bosch is a Fortune 100 company. So that's for a Fortune 100 company. It's not as important, but if you're looking to improve, I, I would think when somebody can afford it, they're going to, you're going to want to dive into a degree program because of what it what it offers you right? from a competitive standpoint. And and a lot of companies will stop your forward progress if you don't have a degree. Some mm-hmm. some of us don't like to hear that. And we talk about the people that don't have degrees and look at all that they're accomplishing. And we look at them. Look, he doesn't have a degree and he's a billionaire. Yeah, because he was an entrepreneur. And nobody was nobody there to stop him. Uh, you're not an entrepreneur unless you're going to go out and do the same thing they did. Don't compare yourself. <laughs> to, to those people. You know, don't, don't think that you're the next Elon Musk. Um, you, you've got some things you've got to do. So, so deal with whatever is before you and then choose, as Julia said, the right path. If, if you can't afford to do certain things, if that's just not realistic, we totally get it. I did the mm-hmm. same thing. I, there were 10-year gaps in between a couple of my degrees. Right. Just couldn't, couldn't do it. So right. do what you got to do. Absolutely. Uh, and also related to UX educational <laughs> programs, Carl Uh-oh. Carl actually asks a very specific question, and 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 they ask, 
should educational UX educational programs teach designers how to communicate to stakeholders so that they can be more effective at articulating design decisions? This is an absolutely phenomenal question. And a few things come to mind uh, because usually when you're going through educational programs, you're learning about doing the work. You're not learning about the the communication process. You're not learning about relationship building. I'm I'm glad that at Kent State we do. Uh, some mm-hmm. people don't know I'm a professor in Kent State's Masters of User Experience Design program, and we talk about there are things that people do. Some of my students right now are working on a project where you're helping with the articulating of design decisions. So it is something that does come into play. There are a lot of things that people get exposed to from an educational standpoint where they do not learn about it. There are books that some books talk about articulating design decisions. There's one that's actually called articulating design decisions. I know, I have it on my shelf right now. <laughs> there, there are some that, I know Tom, there are some that 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 don't. Um, so you end up, the funny thing about this question is, it, it reminds me of how that there's some things, no matter where you learn or what path you choose, you're gonna learn some things from your program and you're gonna learn other things outside your program, which is why having a personalized learning or learning network is so critical because you're right. going because you're going to be getting it from all sides. Truth be told, no matter how good a program is that you go to, there's always going to be something else. I always learned, I mean, I was a practitioner before I got came into the Kent State program. I ended up being asked to teach mm-hmm. because I wasn't the somebody recognized that I was not the run of the mill student. Mm-hmm. And so we had a conversation and they found out that that was one of my goals. And so, yes, I did graduate in in uh, August and or, or in uh, May and start teaching in July or August. But it was partially due to the fact that I already had a ton of experience. So it's not it wasn't one of those boot camp type things that we hear about where somebody graduated on Tuesday and is teaching on Friday and they still don't have any work experience nor do they have any educational experience. So, so that's a problem. That's, I'm not paying anybody seven to $25,000 for that. Mm. So it, it, so it's, there was a lot to be gained. And, and I, I got my last master's degree. I graduated in 2015 and I have never stopped identifying sources and tapping into other learning sources ever. I have never stopped. I've been doing that since 1996 1997 Mm -hmm. books uh, conferences meetups now we've got YouTube although you got to be careful with that uh, because there's a lot of people YouTube medium and now we've got clubhouse where people will produce any and everything just because there's nobody there to stop them so if they don't have a filter that says you know you shouldn't be out here talking about this then we have to have the filter say you know what you shouldn't be listening to this and you have Mm -hmm. to stop it It, it's you can have 10,000 people all talking in complete nonsense, but they only get somewhere if there's somebody who can't recognize the nonsense and is willing to subject themselves to it. Right. So that's, and one day we need to talk about that at length. I have methods for things you can do. You see somebody with a presentation, you see somebody on clubhouse, go and look up their profile on LinkedIn first. Mm-hmm. See how long they've been doing the work. Don't look at their title because a lot of people's titles are lying to them and to you. And they don't embrace the fact or recognize or, or humble themselves to the fact that their title is lying to them. A, a guy I saw recently, one day he was, a, I, my joke is that the person was one day they were a hot dog vendor and the next day they were a lead UX designer. 
and, and some people have made that transition, that's an unlawful transition. So I don't want to hear that person. But Darren, you might have something good to say. Yeah, he might. But there's somebody else over here. I know I'm going to hear something good from that person. Where are mm-hmm. you going to choose to spend your time? Mm-hmm. And you need to be smarter than that. I'm not going to waste my time listening to a presentation from a seven-year-old about budgets when I can go and listen to somebody at Fidelity Investments tell me how to manage my my plan for my retirement. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't need to hear somebody who just found out how to spell how to spell budget. That's not that's yeah. not wise. So just in, in in a nutshell, that that's a sneak peek as to uh, what's in that type of a methodology and how to make sure that you can keep yourself safer out here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a passion for recognizing misinformation. Uh, and so yes, I definitely well think that that's a, a topic to uh, definitely unpack with you. Uh, so moving forward to a, a next question, um, that Jackie has. Okay. So this is speaking to the understanding between the difference between UX and UI. And I know that, you know, kind of tying in, looking for misinformation in the UX world, people say UX, UI designer, just UI designer, et cetera, like that. Um, They actually have a specific question that talks about, uh, from your point of view, Darren, how it's important to a UX designer is making a design more authentic. Um, And uh, from my understanding with that is because like, you know, getting into UX design, especially from a graphic design perspective, we want to be original. We want to make sure that we, (laughs) we like, I don't know, uh, make something new and like, you know, break everything and and in the best way, strategically, obviously. But like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, especially someone that has been in this industry for a very long time. What does it mean to you to have authentic design to not just, you know, copy and paste something, but also do something that is well thought through? Um, what does authentic design mean to you and what does successful authentic design mean to you? I absolutely love that question. When, when I look at authentic, I, I shifted a little bit because you have authentic new. This is mine. That's what, when you get into the visual design world, it's this is mine. Right. I did this. <laughs> it's my baby. Right. When you're over on this side, authenticity in that sense uh, is either non-existent or takes pretty much takes a back seat at best because mm-hmm. it's no longer about what you're putting together and it's no longer about trying to do something that's award winning. It, it's about it's all about the users and the business that this Venn diagram, the user needs, the business needs. And then we're going to accomplish the uh, both while we consider any constraints that we're subjected to. So, mm-hmm. so that said, it's not about necessarily being, um, I'm, I'm going to throw the word unique. It's about, matter of fact, some of the things that you do are going to be common from, because from, from a perspective of heuristics, heuristics are common convention, best practices, and proven principles. So if you're dealing with proven principles and common conventions, that means that a, a somewhere buried in the micro experiences and the micro interactions of what you do uh, is something that people have seen before or engage with cognitively in some way, form or fashion in order to help optimize 
and eliminate or shorten the learning curves on what you design. So I'm not trying to be different as much mm-hmm. as I'm trying to be intuitive. And I'm not trying to be different and authentic as much as I'm trying to eliminate the heavy cognitive loads. I want people to be able to engage with what I'm doing with as little effort as possible. And I want them to do it in a way where all of their mental models are reflected. I've already done enough research. I know enough about who's going to be using this so that my design is reflective of their mental models so that the the the, the, the experience is pretty much, it's seamless. Mm-hmm. It just flows. And I love how somebody, a few people have said this before, but I remember hearing it years ago and somebody mentioned it in the conversation the other day. Good UX is invisible. And I remember being in a, a meeting with some people where, and I was actually leading them through a design sprint. I'm not a big design sprint person. And the people who came up with that Google uh, did it in such a way that it was targeted at startups. And now they're trying to use all this stuff in big organizations. Well, it Mm -hmm. doesn't really translate like that. And nobody stopped to say, you know what? We really can't do it like that. We need to take this and revise it. Then it will work. It could work. Uh, and instead they said, oh, Google said it. So I guess that's supposed to be gold. No, it's not. So at any rate, I'm facilitating the session. And I I start to show people certain things and make sure that they understand how the system works, where we're doing all the brainstorming, where we're interacting as a group. And I did it in such a way that it made, before we even got into the session heavily, it made engagement and communication optimal. When the review was given for me, they thought that I should have said more in the event, in the in facilitating the, the session, when actually, and I didn't mention this, I know that you're not supposed to say too much because you can, you can trigger bias. You can do things that will cause people to do you. You can you can get into a measurement effect type of a situation where people start doing things because they think it's what you want and not necessarily what they're trying to accomplish. They sort of lose themselves and you end up with a room full of marionettes mm-hmm. instead of people actually doing the work. So their review of me was actually off base. The user experience that I provided by giving them proper instructions so that they could engage, it was invisible to the point where they couldn't even talk about it. Nobody appreciated the fact that I helped them learn how to use the system. Mm -hmm. So I actually, because I excelled, I took a hit. Whereas somebody else, I watched somebody else lead a similar session. They did not help people to understand the the system before they got started. We lost a good 20 minutes in the session because people were confused. They didn't know how to use mural and everybody was all over the place. And and, and so now we're confused. Instead of working on the project, we're, we're having a mural one-on-one in certain segments because we, and we, cause we had to keep doubling back. Mm -hmm. Good UX is invisible. And, And likewise, just using that as an example, when we help people to, to to provide an experience, I should say. It, it's not off authenticity. That's not what we want because that's tied to you. That's tied to personality. I, as a user experience professional, do not matter at all. Was it easy to use? Were people able to do things quickly and easily? Were they delighted when all was said and done and they completed their tasks? Are they able to go on their day with the, what I like to call the warm fuzzies, 
You did your job. You did your job and you excelled at it. They never have to praise you about it. Nobody ever has to give you an award for it. And they may not be able to recognize how easy it was. That's what I've seen. When your user experience is that easy, they just flow right through it. And that's it. And they're done and they go away. Mm-hmm. And unless you're conducting research, you never get to see what happens at that micro level. So you never get the understanding. And they mm-hmm. don't know enough to express to you what they what they experience. So people don't understand that about yeah. UX. If they can sit back and, and document a whole bunch of things unsolicited, uh, depending upon what they say and do, there's probably a problem with the design. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's I, I, I love <laughs> I, I love that idea of having, you know, good UX. You, you keep on saying good UX is invisible. I love that. And to add on to that, I feel like UX, good UX can also feel magical in that way because yes. it's so intuitive and so, so, so spot on that it has to be magic. It's either UX or it's magic. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a really great point that you, that you bring here. And now with a couple questions left, um, okay. this question, I'm surprised it wasn't um, written by me. It's actually written by Diana, but it very much speaks to what I do. Um, and they ask if, you know, if we want to document or share learnings through videos and blogs, how can we ethically keep key, key point and keyword here, ethically do this to help <laughs> beginners in the community to not share misinformation that we didn't realize was misinformation. Oh boy. You know, I love this question too, because it actually, it's almost like I picture there's an old classic UX design roadmap. It was done by the old usability professionals association before they became the UXPA. And if you go Mm -hmm. to images.google.com, you can find it. And, and that's what the image that popped in my head you can document your entire journey no matter what, where the pitfalls occurred because you're going to be able to talk about your pitfalls. You may not provide, once you find out that something wasn't good, you can take away that, you can just talk about what you experienced at that mm-hmm. step in the journey and don't provide any links or or access to that other information. But if you experience misinformation, by all means, never lose that as part of your story. And everybody has a story. And I wish more people would tell their stories because they are so valuable, especially for the new UXers. The stories of the new UXers, document your, your journey. Tell people, about, go on Instagram, go on your blog, whatever, your YouTube channel. Tell people about your journey. And if something was good, talk about it. If something was bad, talk about it. If you're confused about something, talk about it. All of those things have value. Everything that ever happened to us in life, it may not have been good. There's a, we've all experienced some painful things, some things we don't want to remember. But you know what? The fact that we know those things, we remember them, they help steer us. They help guide us today, mm. no matter how bad those things were. So don't lose it. Don't bury it. Don't, don't have ostrich effect bias with regard to those things. And don't, don't subject other people to ostrich effect bias. Almost getting tongue-tied there. <laughs> these things will be critical mm-hmm. and and as we make it a point to share them i mean there are times will come up opportunities will arise to actually share those stories and so 
Uh, make sure that you don't lose them. Document, please document. Them. I, I want to watch people's stories. Yeah, I would set it if they were if somebody was on YouTube, and they had something I'd bring up on my TV, set it up in a watch later and then have the videos follow one another. And I, I like bringing up YouTube on my TV while I'm doing something. And just <laughs> listen to those things because there's so much and your story. There are going to be some elements that are unique. Mm-hmm. So if you don't tell those stories, some of the unique aspects of your story don't get out there. Yeah. So please, please, please share those stories and just cut off the, you know, I found out that this information, you know, everybody's not a designer. So as much as I like the person who said that I can't respect this statement because everybody's not a designer. It's like bold. If you make all the text bold or, or font weights, I should say, uh, if, if you make everything bold, nothing's bold. Yep. Uh, if everybody is a designer, guess what? Mm-hmm. Nobody's a designer. And they do those types of things to, unbeknownst to them, it strips skilled UX professionals of our authority. It it completely devalues us. And people don't get that. Mm -hmm. They don't get it because it's not happening to them. If you took whatever their specialization is, the people who keep preaching this, if you took their specialization and, and made everybody equal, oh, they'd come screaming at you in a heartbeat. And talk about how illegitimate that is. But for some reason, they do it to people in UX. It, it's not. Everybody's not a designer. Yeah. And nobody will ever be a designer. And there's a reason why we are talking about education. Because you have to become educated if you want to do it the right way. Otherwise, yeah. you're nothing more than a glorified spitballer. Yeah. And I like to see you with a jacket with a big spitball on the back of it. And celebrate <laughs> yeah. that. It's There's yeah. no trophies for spitball. So, we need to be skilled. We need to be experts. We need to provide expert voice. You can't mm-hmm. advocate for people that you don't understand. We are adv- advocates. We advocate for the user. We're the only person in a meeting who represents the user. Mm. The only one. Yeah. And we are the bridge that ties everything from the subject matter experts to the C-level people, to the developer team, to the QA people. We are the glue. We glue everybody together. Mm-hmm. everybody and folks don't know that and they continue to devalue ux put the wrong people in positions and they're creating problems that i hope we can fix but if we fix it it's still going to take a good five five to ten years to fix it because it's so yeah. rampant today yeah and it's causing a domino effect yes. honestly yes. and i think something that you brought up that i think is so important as a fellow content creator and someone who does have something on YouTube and likes to share her journey. I have this thing called design diaries and I might not be an expert at all at UX, but I know that I'm an expert in my journey. Yes, and you I are. think that that's my biggest takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's my that. biggest yes. takeaway from, yes. from this conversation that we're having now. Um, and believe it or not, we're actually on our last question. I know that we could, some of our questions kind of overlapped and, and answered each other, but I also have this question for you, Darren. Darren from Amandine. <laughs> Darren, do you mentor by any chance? If so, I wish to learn from you, Sensei. <laughs> I love that, Amandine. Like that's a, such a well-written question. Um, I, I would love to hear, Darren, and I'm sure your your listeners would also love to hear 
how can they learn from you in a, in a regular basis? Cause we know wow. that you have so much going on and, and, and we'd love to hear, you know, kind of if, if, if not mentorship, what can we do to kind of learn from you? You might be surprised at this answer, Julia. So the first part of the answer is I get so many requests for people, for me to mentor them, uh, like myself and other people that are, that I know that are like me that try to stand for the discipline and we really have a, a huge heart for seeing people develop. We just don't have the time because we've mm-hmm. got our own work that we do. Uh, I'm in school. I, I'm, I'm involved in quite a few things. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's relatively impossible because when you think about a mentor, a lot of people don't really know what a mentor is. Especially the people who claim I'm a mentor. They've only been, I see people on Instagram. I'm a mentor. They've been doing UX for like three weeks and they're a mentor. No, you're not. You're not a mentor. You, you know, you can't get past the T. You're a mint. You know, I'm a mint. You know, just leave it there. You, you're not. No, 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 no. You're not. And, and a lot of people don't know mentor, mentor, mentee relationship. It's just that it's a relationship. It's, it, it's a lot of ongoing interaction. It's, it's a lot of heartfelt dialogue. It's a lot of presentation, application and feedback. As we mentioned earlier, it's not give somebody some advice and then disappear for the next eight years. That's not a mentor. And, and people are doing that and claiming to be mentors. There are people who have a one, they have a, a unidirectional relationship with people because they have a U, uh, they have a YouTube channel. I know someone who does this. They have a YouTube channel and they very seldom engage with anybody and they think they're mentoring people because they're just giving things out. You know, I, I have somewhere in the vicinity of 7,000 people, close to 8,000 people, I think it is, following me. I don't remember the number, but it's pretty high. Uh, mm-hmm. And of people who are following me on LinkedIn, am I all? Am I their mentors? A lot of those people, no. There a few of them, yeah. We talk mm-hmm. regularly. Uh, they will throw something over the wall at me, and I'll grab it and send it back to them. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just the the dynamic to view to do full blown mentoring is simply not physically or humanly possible. So we have to opt for the next best thing. And that's where we get to the part that you might be surprised at. So we've got the channel coming. Speaking of YouTube, we've got the, the UX Uncensored channel where I'm mm-hmm. going to be actually taking requests and 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 producing information. Uh, so we have some semblance of a relationship there because things are being produced based on what people are in need of and what they're looking for. I observe people and I understand it. So then I produce based on that as well. There is the, there's something else coming and it's called, I actually can't give you the name of it because I don't want anybody to run off with it because there's a lot of thieves in our community too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to start producing um, regularly scheduled UX tidbits that you can tap into and and put together so you can learn. And it does, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, you'll be able to take this and add it to what you've got in some way, form or fashion, and it will mm-hmm. build you up. Um, then there's another solution that I am in the process of evaluating. Of course, you got the podcast. You're, you're listening to it. But there, <laughs> but I'm also looking at, there are solutions that allow you to build your own social media, media community. Mm. And it's not only is it a, the what I'm looking at, not only is it a social media community, it's also a learning community. 
So we can actually engage the way we do on LinkedIn, but it would be limited to people who are members of that community and mm-hmm. not like some of the some of the trolls that we have to deal with, frankly, on, on LinkedIn. I get tired of that, but it's a regular <laughs> occurrence. Then I can actually set up classes that people can take inside of that same community. Now we're talking about something on a different level. Right. So, so I'm evaluating this. And it's something similar to what I know Jared Spool has the, uh, I know some people get upset when I mentioned Jared Spool. He's done a lot for the community, uh, but some of the things, he's he's actually the, the uh, sorry, Jared, and I know you told me you like my podcast, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so, And I think we could respectfully dialogue about it, uh, but I'm not a fan of the everybody's a designer thing, and that's something that's big for him. But he does have what's called the the leaders of awesomeness. And it's like a community that's solely for members. So unless you're admitted, you can't get into that group. And you can't partake of the content. So which mm. means that I would be producing content that would only be for this community. So this is on the horizon. I, I'm, I'm still in the brainstorming stage. I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to decide when if and when to do it and because uh, of course there is there are expenses associated with it which means that if i do it i can't do it for free because somebody's got to pay for it so so and if i'm going to be able to put my best foot forward then that's going to impact me as well if we do it it's not to make money it, it's again it's to provide a good resource and we're short on good resources we actually are. Right. So so these are the things that I'm going to be doing in lieu of being able to mentor because, again, it's just not humanly possible. We just we just can't do it. So right. um, but I'll do as much as I can realistically. But when somebody sends me a message on LinkedIn, I mean, I get to it when I can. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody sent some people have my email address, which I prefer that people reach me on LinkedIn because it keeps the two separate because I already have. I mean, literally tens of thousands of emails. So I don't, it would have, if I hadn't deleted 70,000, it'd be hundreds of thousands. But the, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to get bogged down. When I get up in the morning, I already have like sometimes two, 300 emails easily. So I don't want, so LinkedIn is better. And if we, if I do launch this, this service, Mm -hmm. uh, then we'll be able to communicate within that community. You might get a notice via email that you have a message. But uh, from what I'm seeing, I think it's pretty robust. I think it could get the job done. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's better than, uh, I was actually in talks with Skillshare about doing courses for them and I just never did it. So, and every time I went to do it, it's like I just didn't have the time. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm very skeptical about MOOC engagement because they could have me do a course and could have somebody else do a course three months after that. And we both right. be out there. Uh, which is, I mentioned Coursera. Well, Google and U of M are both on Coursera. So it's okay. You give people options, but I don't want to be in that arena. I, I think I feel better. It's like having an independent movie as opposed to a movie, being in a movie that somebody else produced and you have to you have to dance to the beat of their drum. And I got my own drum. You definitely <laughs> so, do. So, That's for sure. <laughs> so... Yeah, that, that's where we stand on mentoring. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, you never know what other what other options may come up. But 
Right. It's just there, there's so much going on. And, and, and as I stated, you never arrive. So there's always a need to tap into people who've advanced beyond you and to pull on their coattail for a moment and get their input about something. So that will never end. And mm-hmm. as long as I'm here, we'll uh, pull on your coattails. I, I, will, I will be there to help. Got a birthday in two weeks, but oh, well, three weeks. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. How exciting. <laughs> so, the, but that's it. Lots of wonderful questions. Yes, that was fantastic. Happy advanced birthday. And I know that I can speak for all of your followers that we appreciate, you know, the time that you take and the intentions that you have for us, I think is so important and just really, really invaluable to people that are in their journeys, no matter if they are, again, just starting or are already seniors. So thank you so much. And thank you for having me on this podcast. Thank you for being here. I I, I loved it. I love the dialogue. I, that you're the third person who's come on the show. So wow. I'm, I'm happy about that and looking forward to having, we got to do this again. Get some, yes, get some more absolutely. questions or something. This is great. I, I love this kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. So, folks, that is it for the questions. So, uh, we hope that you have been enriched, as always, by this. Uh, Thanks again to Julia for the folks from Students of UXD. That link will be in my description for the podcast. You can tap into their resource at any time, visit their site, check them out, see what they're doing. But that is all the time we have for this segment, folks. So, until next time, this is your host, Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.